This is Iron Sports on 95.9 West Palm Beach. We're honored today to have Pete Corrado uh, on talking about his new book, From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. Uh, Pete's uh, written for their Time, Slam, the AV Club, and a lot of other places. So, Pete, thanks a lot for coming on and talking about your book. I just read it uh, this weekend. It was amazing. Oh, thanks, Ira. Happy to be here. So you chose to, to – so we, we had uh, Tim Frank on when David Stern passed away last year and sort of gave sort of some sort of the history of the NBA about the time. about like Because I think we look at the NBA today and not understanding that what the NBA was before 1975 in the 70s, mm-hmm. that it was like literally – it wasn't even something that we looked at as minor league, minor league baseball. Like a single minor league team was more advanced than the, than, than the NBA was back in those days. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was a. Um, I mean, it really was a rinky-dink league. I mean, the, the, you, you know, I think the, the. You know, I'm I'm 44, and when I became an NBA fan, I the NBA was this big glittering. A uh, well-oiled machine with you know national television coverage and and you know big fancy arenas and the NBA of the of the nineteen up to the nineteen seventies was really it was almost minor league in terms of facilities. I mean there were there were teams that struggled to pay bills. Um, you know there it, it was it was quite a, a difference from the NBA that we that we know today where. You know, every every game is seemingly a sellout, and the TV rights get sold for billions, and each each franchise is is worth you know, I think the floor is like two billion now. It, it's crazy. But the NBA of the 1970s was really a league that was looking for an identity, looking for relevance, and didn't didn't have any of the cachet that it has today. So, and what one of the re- what was one of the reasons uh, because of that? Because I mean, college basketball was popular, so you had. Yeah. I mean, there was, and I think football had their switch. It, I would, I would, had uh, Eisenberg, uh, who wrote a good poll of the league about the NFL, and it was right after World War II when college football used to rule the land, trans, you know, the landscape of football, and then after World War II, then the NFL started to gain in prominence. But why did it take so long for the NBA to catch on? Because the NFL, you mentioned somewhere where the NBA was getting like a few million dollars for their marketing. While the NBA, the NFL was in the hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of, of uh, sponsorship from the networks. Yeah, well, I think it kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit. I mean, the, the baseball and football, college and, and the NFL, you know, they, they, they're kind of ingrained in the American culture, you know. And, you know, baseball has, has been around for, God, since the 1800s. I mean, it, the, the, the country kind of grew up with it. Uh, football really had a, a, a symbiotic relationship with television. I mean, it came of age, they came of you know they came of age together you know the 1958 championship game was you know i think was the was you know the first overtime game and it was you know, when television was just catching on as as a as an important medium you know the the nba didn't have that i mean for 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 two reasons first the nba didn't have great television coverage it didn't have a steve sable or a rune arledge kind of taking the the game under its wing and showing what it could become as a visual medium the NBA didn't really have that until the 1980s. And the second thing, the, the second reason was, you know, it, I hate to sound, I hate to simplify it, but it was a race thing. You know, if you know, I think for a, for a long time, I think a lot, a lot of white America was very reluctant to get behind a sport where the most popular players were black. I think there's there's a there's a sense of well, if I see Mickey Mantle on the screen or in a ballpark, or I see um, Joe Namath, I can relate to that. And there was there was very there was very much a disconnect 
with um with, with the NBA, with uh, with with regular television viewers and the NBA. The other thing too to, to add on to add to that answer is the NBA didn't really have a, a superstar in the 1950s, 60s, and, and even to the 70s that the that that the populace could could latch on to. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a Michael Jordan. There there wasn't there wasn't somebody who captured the public imagination. So for a long time, you know, the NBA kind of proceeded without a major matinee idol. Well, that's where you mentioned in your book, you talked, you highlighted the merger with the ABA. And mm-hmm. if people don't remember what the ABA was, they were sort of like, if you watched the Will Ferrell movie, it was sort of like that, the fun side of, <laughs> of basketball. But you're yeah. in, in, when the NFL merged with the AFL, it was like two competing things, and really the NFL was bringing the NFL in. But you said, you mentioned that it, it wasn't just that the NBA uh, saved the teams from the ABA because they couldn't function right because they had no contract or anything but it's like the players like all the great nba players were retiring uh, jerry west will Chamberlain, mm-hmm. elgin baylor but the aba was, was the team was the league with the uh, david thompson's the julius irving's all these fun exciting players and when all those younger players came in that gave the shot, you know, shot in the arm to the nba you're exactly right i mean 74 it's 1974 when all those great all those great players they mentioned they they were they they were aging and the players that were popular and young in the NBA were not they didn't engender a, a lot of goodwill i mean in the i write about this in the book Pete Maravich was a wonderful player but he was somebody who was kind of like a basketball robot he and he was he was very ill at ease in the spotlight he had a lot of personal problems that he didn't really resolve until before he died in 1988 the other the other star one of the other star players of that era was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who was a marvelous player, but he's seven foot two, seven foot three. That's a hard size for fans to kind of identify with. The other thing with Kareem is that he was like Maravich. He wasn't really a, a, a player that was great with the press, and he had a and he you know and again he was a, he was a Muslim, which at that time was a really misunderstood religion. If you think it's misunderstood now, just head back to 1974 Milwaukee. So there, there were a couple of obstacles that kept Kareem from being. Um, from being the the mainstream success or the mainstream um, star that he maybe would have liked to have been. So to have someone like Julius Irving come in, who was just this, you know, not only who was just a empirically great player who did things that no one had really ever seen before, but entirely have that play with his ability come along, but to have someone like him who was an ambassador for the league, who was just polished and and elegant and just you know, really kind of just poured into a into a tuxedo, was was a marvelous um, uh, stroke of, stroke of luck for the NBA. And as you mentioned, all these players that came up, the George Gervins, the, the Bobby Joneses, the the David Thompsons, the Dan Issels, they were great open core players who added youth and energy into a game that you know was getting getting a little stodgy. Right, and that you mentioned that right, everybody even in college basketball where you weren't allowed to dunk the basketball. Yeah. Can you imagine the rule of not allowing the dunks of the basketball? And the NBA sort of followed along with that. And when suddenly, when these ABA players came in, then we seen the game we see now—the free flowing, the movement, mm-hmm. um, the dunks, the, the fast breaks, and those things that we that make the NBA so popular today. Yeah, no, I mean the ABA ha- has had a remarkable influence on 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 pro basketball, not only the style of play, but also in terms of the spectacle of an NBA game. Because if you look at who at, at who crossed over, um, Carl Shear, who was the GM of the De- of the Denver Nuggets, the ABA 
retain that position in the NBA. And he was somebody who brought a lot of spectacle and a lot of glitz and glitter to an NBA to an NBA game. And you know, Carl Shear was also the was also the uh, the person who helped create All Star Game Weekend by having a slam dunk con- contest at the '84 All Star Game in Denver. So there was a lo- there was the ABA's influence on the NBA is is, is remarkable, and it's so- it's something that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, you know, because again, I think as you mentioned earlier, the the league was just was in such shambles, um, and was always sort of on the uh, was always a breath away from folding. I think that gets a lot of the attention. And certainly, your book highlights David Stern, who I mean, we talk about is he the greatest commissioner of any sports? Where you know, Keith Rozell and David Stern have that they compare you know, comparison for that. But really, is he one of the greatest? anything executives of any company or whatever, because whatever he was, his, just his vision of understanding marketing and everything and understanding his product and his passion. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. And when he said, I like in your book, he said, he goes, the owners are going to know that they work for me. I don't work for them because yeah. the owners went along with that because they said, we can't get on, we can't agree on what we're going to eat for lunch, let alone run this league or all out of business. We're going to let David just make his money. Yeah, I th- to me, David to me, David Stern is is the greatest commissioner in professional sports history. Um, especially the years I would say, you know, nineteen eighty three to nineteen ninety five. I think I think he is he is, he is amazing because he he grew a sport that barely had any national relevance into a sport that had international relevance. Um, and you 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 touched on it just now as a marketer. He was he had he had an, a vision a vision and an ability to get the most out of his product and to leverage the emotional content from the NBA into, into big business and into sales. And not only that, he, he was a zealot for the league and a preacher for the league, but he got everyone on board with it. If you were a potential employee, you got excited to work for David Stern. If you were an advertising partner, David Stern made you excited to be part of the NBA. His, his enthusiasm and his tenacity um, rub people the wrong way. I mean, Davidson was not a saint. He was not somebody who I think, um, you know, was like, was liked among a lot, a lot of people, but he was somebody who got the job done. And in the NBA, his, the people that worked for him and with him, they loved him. And they also loved him because he, he just, he was just so passionate about what he did, but he was also so smart about it. I mean, he was somebody who in business meetings listened and he asked questions like he never he, David Stern never pretended that he knew everything. So if he was meeting with like, the, let's say, the CEO of Coca-Cola or, or Bush beer he, or Anheuser-Busch, excuse me, he was going to ask questions. He was going to understand what they wanted and what and what their business was about, because that's how he got better. He was never somebody who said, well, I know the answers to everything. He he, he was very he was a willing and eager student. And I think that's what made him great. And you mentioned you highlights the certain areas like the '83 All Star Game, where the All Star Game was somewhere like you couldn't even like they had to give tickets away. And that I guess you mentioned the, the anecdote where he went to an All Star Game one time and a scalper tried to sell him a ticket for twenty dollars <laughs> with five dollars. He said, "I guess we're doing something right now that someone wants twenty dollars." Now I'm someone who I, I've never been to it. I've been to every sport, but I've never been to All Star Game because I think it's so overpriced and so overhyped. Yeah. I've been to the slam dunks and everything else, but never to the game itself. But the point is, he created this All Star. To him, that was going 
to be the showpiece event of the NBA and bring it and what it's become today, which is, you know, to go a ticket to Ulster game, the worst in house is now $2,000. It's equivalent to, to like a higher than like an NFC championship game or an AFC championship game in football. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but but David, but yeah, but the all star all star game weekend or all star, which I, I think which I hate, I hate that term. Um, but all star game weekend, that was David Stern's baby, because it was because it did a couple of things. First, it it, pre- it, it presented it. That's the league. Excuse me. That's the league Super Bowl. That's that is when the NBA comes out and shines. And what's what's important about that? What's so important about the about the all star game is that. Not so much the game, but the marketing opportunities and the business opportunities. That is a place where business gets done. That's a place where networking takes place. That's a place that that's a, that's an event where if you're a if you are a if you work with the NBA, let's say you work for oh I don't know uh, 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 IBM, you could take your clients to that IBM. You, you could take clients and use that to court them for more business. The the All Star Game we All Star Game Weekend became a marketing business trade show spectacular and that's david and that's by design i mean it is it is meant for kids it is meant for for it's meant to it's meant to rope in the casual fan but it's also meant as a way for the nba to kind of shine for its clients and for the clients to all for their clients to also impress their clients it's really it, it is a remarkable um synergy of business entertainment and sports and then you highlighted Jerry Buss and the Lakers, and it's sort of like he's one of the owners that Stern was looking for, is that making the Lakers an event. And I go to so many NBA games, and I love it, and they show everybody, all the celebrities that are there from all, they're all mm-hmm. sitting in the front row and who's that. And you don't get that in a football game, that, because it's hard. It's hard to find. It's the different places. The first row, front row seats aren't the prime spots. But he said, look, front row streets are real estate. They're not paying for the yep. game. They're paying for the real estate. And just to make an event that people, so here, think of this NBA in the, in the 70s, nobody wanted to go to, you couldn't get a celebrity to go to. Suddenly it was the in thing for people to go to. And not just in LA, but in, in even if we're down here in Miami and, and everybody, you know, it, it is the in, it is now the event that people you want to go to. Yeah. I mean, it is, but, but less and less of it is about the game. It, it's about the amenities. It's about you know, it's about oh, let's go, let's go to this this bar that's in the arena. Let's go to this restaurant. Let's go to this hot spot. I mean, I I, I remember seeing designs. I think for the Pistons' new arena, and it was gonna. And I think right behind the basket, I think in the designs is like a lounge where like you can just sort of mingle and 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 you know have drinks and 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 do your thing. That, that's that's the beauty of of the NBA as a business is that, and, and it's in its DNA. The NBA yes. knows. That it's never that it that it has folk people like you and me for life who love the game and want just or, and 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 just love the players and what they bring to the table and like we're we're not going anywhere but the NBA is masterful at courting young fans with the All Star Game weekend and all the hullabaloo that goes there and the and the product and the video cassettes back in the day and casual fans like like the fans who go to who go to see a crappy Pistons game, but hey, you know what? They get they get to have a nice wine and they get to you know go to this club or do this. And and the Lakers are a prime example of that because not only was the you know, was the was the game on the court worthwhile, especially if you had Magic and Worthy and Kareem running the break, but you had the Forum Club, which was you know sometimes there was there was more good times at the Forum Club than than on the uh, on the uh, on the court itself. And then there's the Laker girls and that celebrity aspect and. You're right. As time goes on, 
NBA games are are more of a, an event to put on your Instagram account than to watch. But again, there's enough of there's enough diehard fans or fans that love the game itself that it, it doesn't really matter how the game is presented or who goes to the games or 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 what's offered at the games. You know, as long as the game itself doesn't change that much, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're talking to Peter Carrada, who has a book out called From Hang Time to Prime Time about the NBA um, from 75 to like, uh, you said 80, 75 to 89. Um, and just a few more minutes. But I, I think yeah. the question I, you suspension in the book about licensing, licensing and products. And I think that's the one Stern said other people's money. He used Gatorade, mm-hmm. McDonald's, Pepsi, the advertisers. Yeah. And that's what, that's what football and the others didn't have that. I always think the shoe deals was great because in the other sports, he let, he let the players wear their own shoes. So then the companies, then Nike was spending money, putting the shoes on, uh, paying, you know, for the advertising, the players. And that was just, to me, the most brilliant move was to having all these other people with the shoes because you don't get that in football you don't really get that in baseball because they're all have to wear the same shoes the same companies but he understood mm-hmm. that if we allow the players to and that also helped him with salaries because if he put the salary caps and locked in how much kevin durant now kevin durant makes 40 million from playing but now 100 million from shoes so that's right. allowing putting a salary cap letting the superstars make money from other things now what what is what's inherent in what you just mentioned is is a quote that to me sums up everything among the people that I talked to for this book, I talked to over 300, 315 people, I think. I spoke to Joe Cohen, who is the creator of MSG Network. He told me that the tradition of the NBA is that it has no tradition. So that, <laughs> so that to me, sums up everything. So the so, the, so Michael Jordan come, can come along with a shoe, and it, it initially it riles everyone it riles everyone it rubs everyone the wrong way. But David Stern is able to say, you know what? Okay, like my kid loves this shoe. He says that I'm an a-hole. So I'm so let's let's keep let's keep let's keep this shoe going. And that's the beauty with everything that happens in the NBA. Every whim, every cultural event, the NBA is able to ride ride that to 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 its benefit because there's no tradition. The NFL is a tradition-based league. Baseball, oh my God, that's the most tradition-laden league um, you'll come across. You know, there's the rules and, you know, the, 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 the you know, and the, and the shoes that with the NFL, the shoes that look a certain way. The NBA has none of that. And, and by doing that, you get, you, you, you're constantly generating news and you're constantly generating different ways to, to look at the game, to follow the game. If you go on Twitter, half of the morning wrap, wrap ups that I look at feature players shoes. <laughs> like that's like the, oh what did Kevin Durant wear last night oh what did what you know or or even like the runway walk oh what is Russell Westbrook wearing when you don't when you don't cow to American traditionalism this is what happens you get a you get a league where everything is changing and everything can be news or noteworthy because it's different no no NBA no no NBA day is the same. It's always different, and that's because and that's because the NBA doesn't adhere to a tradition. We've been talking to Peter Pete Carrado, author of From Hang Time to Prime Time. Thanks, Pete, for coming on and talking about your book. I, I encourage everyone to read it. It's a great history of the NBA. It sort of lets you know how we came from a league that, as you said, the minor leagues to now one of the prime sports. So thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. Ira, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.